On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. This is the central issue that Iowa businesses, regardless of whether you're a large IBC member or a medium-sized business or small business workforce, is the central issue that companies are facing right now. The Iowa legislature reconvenes this coming week, and one business group in the state has a list of priorities for lawmakers to consider. One of those lawmakers wants to stop businesses from asking about employees' vaccination status and more. And in our business profile, we'll reintroduce you to a business that puts a high-tech priority on sales of farm ground and equipment. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of January 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Many of us make to-do lists or lists of goals to accomplish. There is no shortage of folks who have lists for members of the Iowa House and Senate to consider as they return to work under the Golden Dome in Des Moines this coming week. The Iowa Business Council is a nonpartisan nonprofit group whose 22 members are the key decision makers of major Iowa employers. In fact, one in every six jobs in our state is tied to an IBC company. They have devised a list of priority areas for lawmakers to review in the new session. Joe Murphy is executive director of the Iowa Business Council. We really try to take a very high-level view of what those issues are that are impacting the state. You know, we have a relatively small membership, again, only 22 members, but they represent the largest companies in the state of Iowa. So all told, we have 172,000 employees employed at our member businesses. And I mentioned that mainly just to say, we're trying to look at generational issues. So we're not going to dive down into every single nitty-gritty business issue, but we're looking at holistic areas that will really drive change for the good and lay the foundation for future success and economic success in our state. And so beginning basically after the end of session in hopefully May of each year or April, we begin to look at where we had some success, where we could have improved from a policy perspective, and then engage our membership on what are those big issues that are impacting their ability to create jobs and opportunities for Iowans. And from there, we go out into the communities and give presentations at Rotaries and Chamber of Commerce organizations and economic development organizations throughout the state and try to get an ear to the ground outside of Des Moines on what Iowa communities are facing every day. Because if communities are facing challenges at that local level that their small and medium-sized businesses or their K-12 institutions are facing, Sooner or later, those issues are going to bubble up into a overall statewide. We've been, frankly, able to get ahead of the curve, I think, on some of our policy developments, specifically relating to child care and housing. You know, a couple of years ago, through those community visits, we were beginning to understand the real impact of, of child care. And of course, your listeners will know that child care has been the long issue that's negatively impacted Iowa. All right, so you have identified four very specific items, and you referenced some of them broadly. So let's now drill down into each one of the four specifically, and child care. And again, you and I have talked about this, and, and I freely conceded. When I think about business, I don't think about child care, because yeah. I'm thinking about workflow. But if you're trying to maximize a workforce that may want to actually, heaven forbid, have a life, uh, this is a very important issue. 
it's hugely important, right? And we talk about access to that labor market and getting people back to work, particularly as we're emerging from the pandemic. Childcare is critical. And so our entire legislative agenda is really focused through the lens of workforce development and workforce availability. And childcare is right at that top of the list. Iowa leads the nation with both parents working outside the home, which makes it even more of a critical step for Iowa policymakers to address. And we've taken some good steps last year, um, raising eligibility thresholds for credits and eliminating the child care cliff effect. But the governor released a child care task force report that really focuses in on specific areas that we can increase eligibility for child care over the long term. So increasing slots, providing increased wages for early childhood workers, looking at the bricks and mortar situation, you know, 23% of Iowans live in a child care desert. They don't even have the physical structures close to them for child care. And so making it easy for businesses to engage in child care will hopefully lead to more Iowans getting back to work. I mean, child care in the pandemic was the number one issue that our membership looked at as child care facilities closed around the state. Parents had no other option but to stay home with them, obviously. And so we need to make sure that those slots are coming back into focus. The reality of the situation, as I recall, is we were not flush with opportunities for child care pre-pandemic. And so the, the pandemic only made the situation worse by exposing, and I suppose that's a good thing, exposing the fact that this really is an issue. But it was bad before. It was of concern before. It was of concern. And obviously, like the pandemic did in so many other areas, it exacerbated the situation for child care. Many child care institutions closed. You know, individuals had to remove their kids from child care. Child care facilities lost revenue, right? And so they had to make the difficult decision to close or reduce capacity, which eliminates slots. And, and to come back out of that is, is much more difficult for a child care facility. Of course, there's a lot of regulations and rules around child care facilities and, and care, and, and those are all good because you're, you're literally leaving your most precious and valuable thing, your children, right, Jeff, in the care of somebody else. And so we want there to be high standards, but we also want there to be an understanding of maybe what some of those regulations and policies that were well intended when they were put into place, how are they actually impacting the overall operation? And if there are some things that we can scale back without removing safety, obviously that's something we want to look into from a regulatory standpoint. And again, to reinforce your point, as you folks note, a shortfall of more than 350,000 child care slots in the state of Iowa. Child care is one of the four tent poles. Another is housing, as you referenced. As I look at business, I'm thinking, well, I've got a workplace, but if I have workers, which I need, I've got to have a place for them to adequately live and grow their families. And we have an issue with that, apparently. We do. And it's a huge issue everywhere, but particularly in those rural communities, right, where it's expensive to build a home and the housing stock is lacking. And when I say housing stock lacking, I'm saying, you know, there's very expensive homes and then there's homes that are less desirable. And so when we're talking about housing, we're talking about housing for everybody, affordable housing, workforce housing, everything in between. And so we have to make sure that we're constructing these homes and developments in a way that will allow people to live within the community of their place of business or relatively close. We're really fortunate in Iowa to not have clogged traffic jams every single day, but we do have situations where people are traveling 45 minutes or an hour each way just because they can't afford to live in a town where their business is located. Or the other problem, getting back to childcare, Jeff, is that you know their childcare facility may be 45 minutes in the opposite direction of where they live and then 45 minutes in the other direction of where they work. And so all these things are interrelated. And 
And as we think about coming back from the pandemic, using that as a critical resource for economic growth, I think is really good. You think about the multiplier effect on construction and all of the economic activity that goes into constructing facilities and buildings and homes, that generates serious income for communities, which is a very good thing. Let's talk about workforce development because that is, again, an ongoing issue and the pandemic did nothing but simply put a sharper focus on the fact that this is an issue not just in Iowa, it's an issue across the country. How does the Iowa Business Council suggest that the legislature can help us with that? This is the central issue that Iowa businesses, regardless of whether you're a large IBC member or a medium-sized business or a small business workforce, is the central issue that companies are facing right now. And so we think that there can be a lot of success continued through the Future Ready Iowa program and the Last Dollar Scholarship program, propping up individuals to continue their education. But beyond that, I think we also need to take a look at policies that encourage people back into the workforce, right? Back into the labor pool. Before the pandemic, Iowa had a 70% labor participation rate. According to latest numbers, we're down around 66% labor participation rate, which equates to about a 40 to 50,000 person drop-off in available workforce, right? And so when we have a population problem already in this state, and when we had a workforce shortage already in Iowa before the pandemic, losing you know three or four or five percentage points off your participation rate really strains that flow, right? And the good news is for our companies, and, and this is across the board, they're having really good years with respect to you know demand, right? The demand is there. The economy is really coming back and roaring back. The problem is getting workers to do the jobs. And it's across white collar, it's across blue collar, it's everywhere. I mean, your listeners will know every time they go into any sort of business or store or shop or restaurant, there's help wanted signs everywhere. And that's no different for our members as well, whether you're a manufacturer or a financial service agency or an agriculture research company. There's a lack of workforce in this state. And that's why we're really trying to put together some solutions to work forward on. Joe Murphy of the Iowa Business Council. We spoke via Zoom on Friday, December 17th. Read the full list of legislative priorities by going to their website, iowabusinesscouncil.org. Still to come, limiting employer rights or enhancing employee rights, and using technology to maximize farm sale income. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. What do Olympic wrestling legend Dan Gable, Hollywood funny man Adam Devine, and America's Got Talent soloist Emily West all have in common? Why, it's Waterloo, of course. These are only a few of the famous, noteworthy, and praiseworthy people who hail from Waterloo, Iowa, which begs the question, why not Waterloo? I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. One of the bills lawmakers will be considering is a House study bill on how far Iowa employers can go in getting information from employees about their physical health or vaccination status. Representative John Jacobson is a Republican from Trainer. Basically, the bill says you can't fire someone 
if they don't take a Myrna. You can't discriminate against them in the workplace if they if they choose not to take a Myrna. What we did was, unlike the way much legislation is done, where the lobby writes the bill, uh, we kicked the lobby out. We brought in citizen stakeholders from all regions of the state, including Democrats and Republicans, and we fashioned, I think, a very excellent draft bill. Montana has already implemented it. It has stood up to court scrutinies there. Texas is doing something similar. If people are looking for an anti-vax bill, Jeff, they they came to the wrong meeting yesterday. We're not anti-vaxxers. You know, my parental uh, level of the the family, parents, aunts and uncles, my, my siblings, my children, they're all pretty much majority are vaccinated. But this is about medical freedom. There is an inherent dignity of the human condition and a right to work, a right to bring about a livelihood for yourself and your family based on the fruits of your labor. And that's an inherent human right. And it's contemplated in all of our founding documents as well as the Constitution. It is broader And one reason why is as follows. Just the nomenclature, the naming schematics of these illnesses oftentimes are politicized. If the government decides to call this something other than COVID-19, they're already giving the variants different names. COVID-19 is merely a form of a coronavirus. We've had coronavirus around forever. The common cold is a long-time, highly mutated, much more transmissible, but much less deadly uh, coronavirus. So are uh, different uh, influenzas. Those are coronaviruses, coronavirus themselves, too. You'll, you'll notice, according to the CDC, when we were trekking along at 150,000 or more influenza deaths just in winters in the United States, Miraculously, now in three seasons, we've had zero influenza A and influenza B deaths. We had to broaden that, Jeff, because otherwise the end run around our bill would have just been to recharacterize COVID with a different name and then absolutely neuter our bill. Meanwhile, Speaker of the Iowa House Pat Grassley told me on Friday that bills like this may be on a slower track awaiting the outcome first of lawsuits on federal mandates still making their way through the courts. Coming up, how to get your farm equipment for sale in front of 100,000 potential buyers. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. I'm Michael Swanger, owner and publisher of Iowa History Journal. Get into the game and read our January-February issue that features a cover story about the only NBA team in Iowa, the Waterloo Hawks, as well as in-depth stories about poet Charles Blandin, the Soldiers and Sailors Civil War Monument, and the winner of the Miss Perfect Back of America contest. Get your copy of Iowa History Journal at Hy-Vee or Fairway, or visit iowahistoryjournal.com to order today. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and get details on their latest quarterly economic outlook survey at iowabusinesscouncil.org. 
In Iowa and throughout the Farm Belt, a farm sale, whether of ground or equipment, can attract a lot of attention. Connecting the right purchasers with items for sale has taken on a different form in this electronic world, and it's a change embraced by Steffes Group. Early last year, I spoke with Tim Meyer of Steffes Group's Iowa office in Mount Pleasant. It's this week's business profile. Steffes has been in business since 1960. We have locations all over the upper Midwest. We have locations in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Iowa. We also do sales all over the Midwest. We have a sale in Arkansas that would be this week, and we're in Iowa, Montana. We just work all over the upper Midwest. Last year, Steffes did 602 events, and that would be all over the upper Midwest and the Midwest. We've booked over 180 auctions for this year. Hmm. We've done about 37, believe it or not, this year. And uh, we've got a lot of auctions that are coming up here in the next few weeks. And all that can be found on our website at steffesgroup.com. But uh, we sell land and equipment and we primarily work farmer to farmer. We love the opportunity to get out and do retirement auctions. Farmers are a different breed. They're hardworking and they don't do it for the money. They have such tremendous pride in their equipment. I just can't imagine being in another business than what we're in. You can help these people in certain areas really grow their operation if they're looking to expand or they can upgrade equipment. It's a very affordable way for them to take that next step, which is really important, whether you're feeling more comfortable growing on your own, bringing in another generation, which I know is huge in farming. You know, one of the things that we strive to do is we believe that buyers eventually become sellers. And it might be one piece or two piece, not necessarily an entire line. Steffes has got such a broad range of services. We can sell your equipment either live on site. We can do live on site with internet bidding. We can do an internet only auction. The other thing that that we have become masters at is these multi-party auctions. We had a sale two weeks ago that was in the Story City area. We incorporated five different farmers that had short lines of equipment into one auction. And having the footprint that we have and being able to talk to people all the time, we're able to put those events together a lot. And so the multi-party auctions are multiple farmers that come together that have a few pieces or maybe even a short line of equipment that we are allowed to either offer live with internet or internet only. And uh, it's something that we've become very, very good at. So we have live auctions that are one piece consignment auctions. We call those ag irons, though we do those all over the Midwest, Mason City. We have one in Grundy Center, Mount Pleasant. And in those locations, we sell not only farm equipment, but we'll sell construction equipment. And uh, we are in the truck and transportation world. So if a farmer can use it, we want to be able to sell it. Help people understand why using the services of a company like Steffes Group, as opposed to what I recall growing up, every town had a guy who would cry a sale on the weekend. You know, they had the local auction house, etc. And these are people you've known for years. But this has gotten to be much more specialized in terms of how both buyers and sellers want to treat things, right? That's the distinction between what you can offer in 2021 and what I may remember from 30 or 40 years ago in rural Iowa. 
Well, Jeff, it wasn't even that long ago. And <laughs> I came from a business like that. And Stephus was a business like that. It's family owned. It's third generational now. The thing that Stephus brings to the plate that that makes it just so hard to compete with if you're a smaller auction company. We own our own platform. We own our own website. We have the ability to market to backup bidders. We can market to folks that we know are interested in your type of equipment. The data in the world that we live in today is such a big, big deal. We have almost 100,000 registered bidders on a daily basis, whether it's email or direct mail. That is something that we didn't have access to that even 20 years ago. When we roll into a potential auction, we know that 84% on average of the buying clientele of your potential auction, we already have on our web base. We already are marketing to those people. So that puts just tremendous comfort in a seller's mind to know that 84% of the buyers of their equipment, we already have possession of in our database or marketing to them currently. The other thing is the critical mass of the company. When you're doing 15 to 25 auctions a week, we had 37 million page views last year. We had 1.4 million viewers on our website uh, and, and we're keeping them on the website a long time. The average viewership on our website is almost 10 minutes long. It's because they're looking for something that they need. Tim Meyer of Steffes Group in Mount Pleasant. They're online at steffesgroup.com. Steffes is spelled S-T-E-F-F-E-S. We connected via Zoom in late February of last year. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.